0: Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 2. Genesis chapter 2, fact or fiction, we've been saying all along, this makes a big difference, guys, and we're so glad you're here today. Thank you for tuning in. God is up to incredible things in this church, in our academy. I've got some special news for you at the end of the service today, Um, some changes on the horizon, and I just thank God for what he's doing here. I thank God for uh, your generosity of time, talent, and treasure. You guys giving the way you have 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 enabled us to give this week a substantial gift to, in fact, to Ukraine. And I'll tell you more about that at the end today. But I just always want to express my appreciation to you for letting the Lord use you to be a blessing to so many. There are people today that are benefiting by the ministry of this church in East Tennessee that we will never meet this side of heaven. But I'll guarantee you, you're changing lives. And I thank you for that. And as borders open and as restrictions change, we're gonna be putting boots on the ground again. We've gotten some teams out, but we're gonna be doing a lot more of that in the coming days. But let's remember that right here at home, we're also missionaries for Christ. And I'll talk more about that in the context of the sermon. But we're learning a verse in each chapter as we go. And in this chapter, chapter two, we're learning verse 18. It really sets us up for next week because I'm not quite getting there today but it really sets us up for the first marriage in mankind. And so let's read it together, Genesis 2.18, and then I'll throw about three blanks in the mix just so that we're learning it and growing together. We had learned um, from chapter 1, verse 27, about the Imago day that were made in the image of God. But let's go ahead and um, let's speak. And thank you to the person who just texted me about Holly. We agree. She's beautiful and gifted. And thank you very much. Uh, it's good to have these devices in front of me. Let's say this verse together. Are you ready? And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Good. The word there, comparable, kind of suitable to him, a perfect complement. To man so you got it look at it real close and let's say it together with a few blanks you ready and the Lord God said it is not good that a man should be alone good I will make him a helper comparable to him wonderful wonderful we'll look at her creation next week but we are here uh, exploring life in God's garden right life in God's garden A lot of questions about Eden, a lot of questions about Adam and Eve, and we're going to try to unpack a lot of the questions you might have in the coming weeks, but I want to say let's remember God's taking us from the big picture of chapter one, and he's narrowing our focus down to the specifics of forming and fashioning our first father. The thing I've never understood about this world is why people can be bigoted and hateful and and narrow-minded when it comes to people that look different than them. Or sound different or maybe, you know, different skin color or whatever, when you go back to it, we're all from the same family. And if you would argue, no, we're not, we're just a product of time, chance, and matter, well, you're wrong, but we're all from the same primordial slime then. We're all from the same single-celled organism that somehow, you know, became a fish and then sprouted legs and then sprouted wings and, and pop, you know, pop, there you are. (laughs) So we're all from that? No, of course not. But what we find when we come back to Genesis 2 is that God is showing us some patterns here. He didn't rest because he needed to. He rested because he's showing you a pattern and showing me a pattern. We find that the potter is shaping his masterpiece, Adam, ground, clay. God is making, and eh, we can't deal with that and preach well. Okay, God is making this, this uh, man out of the dust, out of the dirt. And then in verse 7, he's breathing into him the breath of life, right? And unlike any other animal that's made, that's just why it's not just an evolutionary chain. We are unique, made in the image of God. Now, you may love Rover. But Rover's not made in the image of God, you are. And that's why human life is so precious. All life is a gift from God, but human life is precious. God breathed into us, we sinned, as we begin to see in the coming weeks, we separated from God, but by the Holy Spirit, we are breathed into again, and we have new life. I'll talk about that at the conclusion. So what does it all mean for you? What does it mean for me? Well, you have a plan and a purpose Did you realize, it's March the 6th, 2022. Did you realize God knew you'd be here today? While he was knitting you in your mother's womb, even before that, God knew you'd be sitting here. God knew you'd be tuned in. Wherever you are, or maybe you say, oh, oh, it's not March 6th anymore, I'm listening later. Well, then God knew that. But God did not know it like a puppet master. Who says, I am going to manipulate this person to this day, this time, this place. No, 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 no. That's not how God made you. That's not how God made me. I'm going to try to explain that a little further into the message today. But God made us with a glorious plan and purpose. God made a place for us here on this earth. And God is in the process of remaking a new heavens and new earth. That we get to enjoy forever with our Lord. With that being said, stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Let's start looking at some of the details of this garden. What is it? Where is it? What's there? And what are the instructions God gives our first parents, okay? So chapter two, picking up verse eight, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put a man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, of course, now this is looking back, the Lord had already made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that's very important, two trees. Now a river went out from Eden to water the garden. Remember, it's not raining on the earth yet. There's said to be no rain yet. There's a water vapor cloud, a canopy, if you will, but no rain. And so you have these rivers that are coming out. And then it splits and it becomes four river heads. Now, look at verse 11. Can I give you a little insight? Don't worry about how these ancient Hebrew names are pronounced. Nobody really knows anymore exactly how they're pronounced. And sometimes you get embarrassed and you get in your Old Testament and you say, I don't know what that is. Why am I even going to bother reading it? Nobody really knows. Even modern Hebraists don't know. I tell you that because if I mess this up, I want you to know I did it intentionally. Okay, the name, <laughs> the name of the first is Pishon. It is the one, this river skirts the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There's delium and the onyx stone there. And the name of the second is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. Now, truth be told, we don't exactly know where uh, they are today. I'll tell you why, though, in a few minutes. We do know where where the next two are. The name of the third river is Hiddekel. Another translation of that would be the Tigris. You've heard of that. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth is the Euphrates. You've heard of that. And then the Lord God took the man. And he put him in the garden of Eden, watch this, to tend it and keep it, to cultivate it and work it. Love that. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Let's pray. Father, what an incredible passage. You not only set up uh, the first home for humankind, but you give us instruction in that home. You give us task. You tell Adam exactly what you expect of him and and what you would like him to avoid for his own good. Today, you're really doing no different. You're providing a home for us. You're telling us through your word, according to your spirit, how we're to live in this world. The thou shalt"s and thou shalt nots of the world. And Lord, when we obey, there's life and joy and freedom, and when we disobey, there's heartache and hardship, and there's enslavement. So help us to be people of obedience, to be people of joy, to know that Jesus makes the difference, and on this good world you've created, there's a better way. His name is Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Thank you and be seated. So let's start, let's look at some details today of life in God's garden, okay? Uh, if you are taking notes, you can start jotting some things down. Life in God's garden includes pleasure and purpose. Pleasure and purpose. I'll unpack those in a moment. But wha- what is this Eden? Where is this Eden? Uh, it is a garden, the Bible says, gone in Hebrew. It is a sheltered spot, a protected spot. The name Eden likely translates from the word delight or enjoyment. God created this environment as a place where he and man could enjoy together. In fact, we'll see how God in a, um, um, in a theophany, we call it, I'll explain all that in a few weeks, as God comes to walk with man, as God interacts with man, it's very interesting in this garden. The description of the garden actually contains language similar to the description of the tabernacle that God is going to be present and God's going to be all in. In the garden, we find food for sustenance. We find work in caring for it. We have creative leadership giving man dominion over the animal kind. We have limitations given, limitation for developing the moral character of man through the forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then, of course, we have woman created as a suitable helper, a companion for man. Now, where is it? Where was it? Well, number one, I want you to understand, I think continental shift is a real thing, and I think it did happen. I just think it happened differently than the Darwinian evolutionist would want us to believe or the geologic evolutionist. I believe it happened much quicker and I believe it happened through and following a universal flood. That being said, things don't look like they once did, but if we were to try to locate this, two of the four rivers are extant, meaning we know where they are, the Tigris, the Euphrates. The other two likely have disappeared because of the universal flood. Rivers came and rivers went, mountains were formed, continents moved. And so, so it is entirely possible here that the two of the four are no longer extant or it is entirely possible that they exist but names have changed which is fine what we do find though is that this garden would have been most everybody says in Mesopotamia or modern day Iraq or Iraq if you prefer Iraq Iraq, if you would look to that area of the world, that's about where you're going to find the Garden of Eden. And the Septuagint used the word, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew. It's a very old translation of the Bible. The Septuagint used the word uh, paradisus. That's where we get the word paradise. It is a paradise, paradisus. It was off to the east, most likely Mesopotamia, modern Iraq. And so again, What is it good for? Why did God make it this way? Look at verse nine. Out of the ground the Lord had made every tree grow pleasant to the sight and good for food. Now remember, God created it functionally mature. God didn't just put a little seed in the ground. He created the tree. And from the tree came the seed. That's why he created the chicken. And from the chicken came the egg. But he made these trees pleasant to look at and he made them good For food. I was trying to think of something that's both pleasant to look at and good for food. Now, all my deer hunters in the room know what I'm about to say. I like looking at whitetail. They're pleasant to look at. They're a joy to look at. But guess what? They're also delicious, man. I'm just telling you. Now, some of you, you say, No way, don't give me any deer meat. That's fine. You can have your opinion. It can be wrong. I'm okay with that. But the reality is, you know, I love to look at Bambi. Bambi's cute, but her mama's delicious. So that's just the way it is. So pleasant and good for food. But God is basically saying, look, I care about the aesthetic. That's important. We're getting ready to redo this whole worship center this summer. And I think we give God the very best, not just so that we can say, look at us. I think that God cares about the aesthetic. God cares about the look. God cares about what's pleasant to the eye. God wants beautiful things. God gives beautiful things. And now let's compare. Let's look at five and 15, and let's see what the Lord is doing. Verse five, it says, That the Lord had not caused it to rain on the earth, that's why the rivers are watering the land, and the the water vapor, but there's no man to till the ground. That's what the end of verse 5 says. No man is there to work the ground. So in verse 15, the Bible says that the Lord God took the man, Adam, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it, to tend it, to keep it. So what do we make of all of that? Well, part of what God's doing in creating us, he's giving us purpose. See, there's pleasure, it's good to look at. There's purpose. This will feed you, but you gotta work it. You gotta work this garden. Anybody in this room that's ever had a garden understands if you don't work it, it will be overtaken with the weeds and the things that come up that we have to kind of fight against. Let me unpack that and explain it. Work, I wrote it like this, work is not a result of the fall. Work is a pre-fall blessing from God. That's why when we get to heaven, guys, and we get on the new earth, the heavens and the new earth, as believers, we're not sitting on a cloud strumming harps. I mean, does anybody really wanna hear harp music for eternity? No, we're gonna be working, serving. I believe using our hands, using our gifts, doing things that we do now, but with no sin no weariness, not doing it because we have to, doing it because we get to. Uh, my father took great joy in working outside with his hands. He didn't have a lot of hobbies. He was not so much an outdoorsman. He hunted and fished because I liked to hunt and fish. He, he took me because I liked it. He would rather work outside. He would rather do the natural areas. They gardened for most of my childhood. He would have rather worked in um, his yard, Um, They were featured once, I remember, back in Better Homes and Gardens because their place was immaculate and it looked a certain way. And my dad loved that. He saw that as an act of worship to God, that if I'm keeping what God has given me to the best of my ability, I am worshiping. But you say, okay, now wait a minute. I know in Genesis 3 the fall is coming, so what about after the fall? Didn't work become a curse? The answer to that is no. No. It did not become a curse. And then what about childbirth? I read where Eve would have all this pain and toil in childbirth. Doesn't childbirth become a curse? No, no, no. Both become considerably more difficult. Now they come with toil and pain. And yet things like working the ground and things like having kids are still a great blessing from God. And when you become a Christian, you're going to have an element of pleasure and purpose in your life. Do not create a false dichotomy where God never intended one to be. What do I mean by that? Listen, 1 Corinthians 10.31. You ought to memorize it. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, does anybody know the last half? Do all to the glory of God. These kids did a great play this weekend. They had four shows and the music man, I thought the music man was done to the glory of God. These kids were incredible. Young men and young women giving of their time and talent and giving it back as an act of worship to the Lord. You say, but that's not an explicitly Christian show. That's not what 1 Corinthians 10 31 says. My bologna sandwich is not explicitly Christian, but I can eat it to the glory of God. I can hunt I can fish I can work I can preach I can enjoy life and I can do it to the glory of God and whatever you do if you will catch what I'm throwing if you'll just catch it today and you'll put it in practice I'm gonna tell you it's gonna change your life because work without worship is worthless that was good you could write that down too it's free work without worship is worthless listen to what the Bible says Colossians 3 22 and following Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. We would say it like this. Employees, obey in all things your employer according to the flesh, meaning man-made rules and laws. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Don't just do the right thing when the boss man's watching or the boss lady's in town. Do the right thing because it's unto the Lord. Watch this. Whatever you do. Do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of your inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. See, I'm gonna argue you're a missionary for Jesus if you're a Christian today. You may be disguised as a student, you may be disguised as a a lawyer, you may be disguised as a plumber or electrician, you may be some other form of worker, but you're a missionary for Jesus. You just happen to do a certain profession And yes, we we have to pay the bills, we have to get along, we have to provide for our family. Even Jesus' family did that, right? His daddy was a woodworker, a carpenter. Some translations like a stone worker, but many times they kind of went hand in hand. A builder, he was a builder. And so we know that that's a biblical thing and it's not part of the fall. It is the sweat and the toil and the thorns and the pain that are part of the fall. But we have got to get out of the '80s rock band mentality. Anybody here a fan of Lover Boy? Y'all remember the band? Y'all are afraid to raise your hand? Hey, I see that brother Matt Hinkin. I love you, man. Matt Hinkin is not ashamed. I know. I know we have more Lover Boy fans. Go ahead and be on. Ah, thank you, Lover Boy. I'll see if we got any fans. Everybody's working for the. See, you're all heathens, I knew it. They're all Loverboy fans. You want a piece of my heart? No, we're not going to do the whole thing. But you know, it, it's got a line. Everybody's going off the deep end. You know why? Because they work, work, work. You work 50 weeks to get two off. If you got a great job, you work 48 weeks to get four off. you got to get out of that mentality, brother and sister. Christians ought to be thinking, when I go to work, man, I'm going for Christ. I'm going as a missionary, but you don't know my boss. Well, maybe you need to get to know my boss. Because the reality is, no matter what your situation, no matter how difficult, when you get this, students, it'll rock your world. When I learned that my work was worship, and my papers, and my academics, and my athletics, and my arts, and everything I was doing was an act of worship to God, or at least it could be. When I learned that, it rocked my world. I wanted to do my best on the paper, not just for doctor such and such, for the professor. I wanted to do it because the Lord knew I was doing it. I wanted to do it because I was giving unto the Lord. I wish I had gotten that back in the day when my daddy had me sweeping floors and painting walls and shipping stuff and getting down dirty with all the, the boiler parts that he had. I wish I knew as a kid, I wish I knew as a young guy, that I can do this for the Lord. You know, we drudge through, but the the Bible is teaching us right here in creation order that God actually made work part of the early narrative before the fall, before the curse. Work. It's like y'all remember the seven dwarves? I think six of those dudes were happy. I'm no Grumpy was never happy, but those six dudes were off. What did they? They were they were enjoying it, right? Hi ho, hi ho, it's off to work we go. Do y'all whistle like that on Monday morning? Y'all do that? No, what do you do? The alarm goes off and you smack it, and then you smack it again and you go, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go, right? Because you gotta keep up. You gotta pay the bills, man. And then when you have kids, and especially teenagers, and then drivers, and then college, I mean, come on. But when we see our work is worship, we come back to creation order and creation purpose. And God made you with a purpose to say, the work of your hand, the cultivation you do, is an act of relating to God. That should rock your world and change your life if you'll put it in practice. God's plan includes pleasure and purpose. God wants you to enjoy life, but you gotta enjoy the work and enjoy the time away, both. Secondly, if you t- oh, let me add one thing I didn't say in the first service and totally meant to say. If you are miserable, maybe you are not doing what God designed you to do. I'll leave it at that. I made a lot more money when I was a young man under my father, but I was miserable. And you and I both know that money won't make a person happy. And so doing what God designed you to do is where you're gonna find contentment and joy in this life. Life in God's garden includes pleasure and purpose. It also includes freedom and the forbidden. Now look guys, some of you aren't gonna like the last part of that phrase, but the reality is the two go together. You can't have freedom without some things being off limits, without some things being forbidden from you. Otherwise, I'm gonna argue in a moment that's not true freedom. See, there's an assignment of keeping this garden, this good garden watered by these rivers with gold in this land. I mean, a good land, a glorious place that God made. And God creates first institutions here, two institutions, firstly here in Genesis 2. The first is law. The first institution here is do this, don't do that. You see all these trees, go at it, Adam. But that one over there, The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, keep your hands off. Don't go after that one. Don't eat from that tree, right? But there's a second institution, and we're going to see it in the coming weeks. I'm calling it Marriage Made in Paradise. It is the gift of marriage. God is going to create a woman out of the side of man, and he's going to give her to Adam as his wife. It's a beautiful thing, but look at 16 and 17. The Bible says, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die and what's that about well i put it down like this the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was placed in the garden to give man the opportunity to exercise his freedom of choice you see guys every tree was pleasant that's what the bible said they're all pleasant to the eye but only one was prohibited When Adam and Eve got tempted, the serpent said, look how good it looks. It's the way he always works. Look how good that looks. Now, come on. You can have a little nibble of that. But God said, all of this is good to look at. But one of these things is different. You need to stay away. The tree gave man the occasion to express his obedience and love for God. I do not believe there was anything inherently evil about the fruit of the tree. It's not poisonous, by the way. Adam didn't immediately die physically, but God made it very clear that he was not to eat this fruit because this fruit, what does that mean anyway, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Let me see if I can explain it. It would be like, I want to understand disease. I wanna understand sickness. Because right now, all I know is Adam is good. God made everything, and it was good, 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 very good, and all of this garden is good, and I want to know the other side. Well, if I walked with God long enough and trusted God, maybe I could see part of the angels had already fallen. Obviously, Satan's already there. A third of the angelic host is now demonic, and so maybe in time God would have taught Adam good, but Adam, I think, and Eve said, we're going to do it our own way. We're going to eat from this tree, symbolic of all knowledge, and we're going to understand good and bad, right and wrong, good and evil, apart from God. Eating of that tree says, God, I don't need you. I'll figure it out on my own. After all, the tempter promised that my eyes would be opened and I would be like you. Here's the deal. God knew good and evil as a physician knows a healthy cell and an unhealthy cell, a normal cell and say a cancerous cell. Adam and Eve wanted that knowledge. But by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and eventually disobeying God, and we'll unpack this much further in a few weeks, but by disobeying God, what they became was not like the doctor, they came, became like the patient. They became sick. They became infected with sin, every part and piece of them. And so as we unpack that in a few weeks, I want you to understand that God was giving opportunity for obedience Because without, and, and disobedience. Because without the opportunity, I'm gonna argue, and most theologians argue, there's no opportunity for freedom without the opportunity for choice. Holly, uh, who just sang, just turned 22. But I remember when she was about 13, in fact, I'd written it down. I keep notes for when my kids say things or we have conversations that I think are important because I think other people wanna know. And so I wrote down the conversation and it was Holly basically asking me, we we're riding around in the car or the truck or whatever, asking me, why did God even allow people to sin? Hadn't you ever thought about that? I mean, wouldn't it have been better if God had made our first parents and just not even put that blooming tree in there and said, hey, eat of all of this other stuff, guys. Enjoy it, live forever. Because the tree of life, the fruit of the tree of life means you live forever. So eat of this, it's, it shows up in Revelation again. Wouldn't it have been better? And so Holly's asking a question a lot of us have asked. You ask it in different forms, right? Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? You have to redefine your terms, by the way. But you ask it in different forms, but we all say, God, why did you make it this way? This doesn't seem fair. And so I tried to explain it to Holly this way, and I'm going to explain it to you because it's still the best explanation I've got. I love Cindy, you know that. I'm not telling you something you don't know, but God brought us together in a covenant of marriage, and the covenant of marriage is a picture of the gospel. As Christ is head of the church, and as there's a relationship between us and the Lord Jesus, the husband and wife have this gospel covenant. What if I told Cindy, I love you, you are the best thing save Jesus himself that's happened to me, but I want you to stay home. I love you too much to let you have choice to go out of this home, I love you too much that you might get hurt. You might make a bad choice. Some dude may look at you and think you're a hot mama. I know. I love you too much. I cannot let you go. Now, as I was explaining that to Holly, Holly, is that fair, is that good? Well, no. But even if I told mama I loved her, and even if I tried to show her, even if I tried to give her sugar and show her, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. If I didn't give her any freedom, do I love her? And of course, even a 13 year old girl goes, "No, she's your slave, not your wife." So then the, I begs the question for you: How did you want God to create us? Did you want God to make us free and autonomous and give us moral choice, or did you want us to be puppets on a string? You realize Islam teaches the puppet theory. it's called fatalism, as Allah wills. A good Muslim that knows his or her Quran will tell you that God has orchestrated everything. If it happens good, he did it. If it happens bad, he did it. We would say, no, he allows things. We would not say God causes though. It would be a different understanding of God. And so for them, Allah, it's fatalism. Whatever happens, happens. So be it, so be it. We say, no, God is sovereign and God knows all things. Remember I told you he knew you'd be here March 6th, but that didn't mean he forced you to come. If I love my wife, that means I let her go sometimes. That means she has freedom to do what she's called to do. Otherwise, I'm going to make the argument, it is not true love. If any of you have ever been in a domineering relationship where somebody has tried to control you, did you really feel loved? Or did you feel trapped? What kind of God do you want? If you want a God who gives us the power of moral choice, because the only way to have true love in relationship is by choice, If she didn't freely choose me yes I had to beg a little bit but if she didn't freely choose me then it's not love and if she doesn't every morning wake up and continue to freely choose me it's not a real relationship and so as I was sharing with Holly and as I would share with you we have to understand true love must include freedom and the forbidden there are things in our marriage that aren't appropriate I can't go out and, and be friendly with other women in any inappropriate way. And my wife still believes I love her the same. There are things that are off limits, right? There are things that we can't do, that we shouldn't do. And nobody lives like they're living lawless. I know you think you do, but you don't. You have to live within limits. And so there's this tree of life. MacArthur talks about it like this. This is a real tree. It contains properties to sustain eternal life. And he believes, as do I, that it had real fruit and Adam could freely eat of it. It shows back up in Revelation 22. But there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil because our first parents would be tried. Do you really want to know what evil is like? If you really want to know evil, disobey me. That's how you know evil. But now as the patient, not the physician. And then in 16 and 17, when God gives the command, you shall not eat of this tree for in the day you eat of it, you will. It's the strongest idiom in Hebrew. You can't use stronger language. You will indeed surely, truly die. Now, obviously it didn't mean physical death. It meant spiritual death. Death never means extinction. Death only means separation. It means you will be separated from me and that perfect relationship will be splintered. Later, your physical body now will die, but there'll be a physical separation. You're gonna be separated from me. And then later, there's a separation of the material you from the immaterial you in your first death. You will literally die. You will cease to exist. But Adam, for today, if you eat of this, you're gonna die spiritually. So there's this tree given. And listen, I'm gonna gonna start bringing the train into the station with this. As God had created him, man was able not to sin. I believe Adam and Eve could have chosen to obey God. What would have happened? I believe they would have lived forever. I believe they would have had children that would have lived forever. I believe God would have sustained them in a perfect Edenic paradise. You say, how is that possible? Well, that's what heaven's gonna be. Live life forever. We're created imago Dei. God breathed into us his life, that never ends. So we're gonna live forever. And there would have been this perfect harmony and unity as there will one day be in the real paradise of heaven. But, Once Adam and Eve chose to disobey, now they and everyone after them is not able not to sin. Not able not to sin. We are born in sin, save Jesus, who was not born of man, not born of Adam, but born of the Holy Spirit and woman, unique among all others. So I'm gonna close with this idea. It's the shortest phrase I know for sharing the gospel in a nutshell. And I know you can learn a lot of methods. I've learned a lot of methods in my life, but I like this one. It's one of my favorites because it's right out of John 3, and it's very simple to remember. So if you wanna write it down or you just wanna remember it, it says this, born once, die twice, born twice, die once. Born once, die twice, born twice, die once. What does that mean? This is a pre-rapture truth. Now I believe that the church will be raptured before the tribulation, and I'll tell you right now, if you're paying attention, signs of the times are everywhere. Come to Pastor Frank's Revelation class on Wednesday. I'm telling y'all, it's getting crazy out there. And look, if you're born twice, I was born by my mama, my daddy and my mama, and then I was born again as a boy by the Holy Spirit. God breathed into me, then the Holy Spirit breathed in to give me new life. I'm born again, according to John 3. I didn't have to enter back into my mother's womb, but I'm born of the Spirit of God. Then I only face one death if I'm not raptured first. That means I die physically where my immaterial body, the real me, is separated from my material body, and that's only temporary, because Jesus totally defeated death. But that's only until the Lord comes back. That's temporary. Temporary separation of material, immaterial. Immaterial. If I'm born once, meaning you, me, we're born through our mamas, we're born into the world, and I've not been born again, then I have two deaths to face. Revelation speaks of a second death, meaning this. I will die, I will be separated, material and immaterial. Then if I've rejected Jesus all the way through my life, the Bible says there will be a second death where the real me, the immaterial me, will be cast away from God in hell or I will be forever tormented. And I know that we don't like to talk about it. It's a horrible idea because we weren't made for hell. But God said, I'm gonna let you make your choice. You're gonna choose to obey me and walk with me and have new life, second birth, or you're gonna choose to reject me. So born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Now here's the thing. I just mentioned Holly, so I'll just stay with Holly. I can't do it for Holly. I know that Holly loves Jesus and she serves Jesus and I praise God all of our kids do and I pray one day the grandkids will but Holly loves Jesus and she's accepted him but she can't accept him on my coattails. God has no grandchildren. As David Slose comes up to join me, I wanna show you something. David is my buddy. He is an unbelievable guitarist. You see him every week. His wife, Karen, is my personal ministry assistant and she's unbelievably gifted too. This whole family is, is insanely gifted David has played guitar all over the world. Uh, He's played for our troops many times with the USO. He was a road manager and stage performer with some very, very well-known country music artists. He has been on every stage you can think of in front of gigantic crowds, and he blesses us every week with his skills. Most of you probably don't know, if you've never heard David, just how unbelievable he really is. Um, My daddy, David, I was telling you earlier, my daddy taught me a few chords on the guitar, but I was more of a piano kid, and I stink on both, right? But uh, (laughs) you don't have to affirm that, by the way. But I, I really, I can play a little bit, I can fake it on the piano, and I only know a couple of guitar chords. But David has spent decades Honing a craft, learning the music, and what that's allowed for him today is freedom. So I just, I just asked David to come up and uh, musicians, you know, I just, just give us some stank nasty. Just give us something, whatever you want to do. I didn't tell him what to do, but just go at it for a minute and let's just see what you can do on the guitar. I'm just curious. I love it so much, good job. That's like like 10 seconds and he could just go on today. Uh, He could play whatever he wants to play. I didn't spend the time to learn. My father, he played, not as good as you, but he played. Played in the band, played in the Navy. Just because my daddy played did not mean I automatically got the skill. I never got the calluses, David, on my fingertips like I was supposed to. I tried, but I never got them because true guitarists know you gotta have those calluses worked up. I never got the freedom. Now I could pick it up and it would not be a joyful noise. But the reality is this David worked. He learned to do some things. He learned to stay away from some things because this finger in this position doesn't work for that. This is the wrong key for this. And so David understood, if you will, the music. And by learning the rules, I would argue David has far more freedom than I do. Y'all thank David for helping me out. David, David has freedom. I do not have freedom on the guitar. I know what some of y'all think. I know what some of you think. I thought this way as a teenager. I know the rules, but if I break them, if I do my own thing, I'll be free. Wrong. Try that on the road. The rules of the road mean if you break them, you will lose your freedom. If you obey them, you can go about your business and you can stay safe and you can enjoy, I don't know if I should say enjoy the roads we have, but you can utilize the roads. Life is no different. God has laid down some roads for you. And if you will listen and obey the music he's made, learn the rules... He is not giving you the rules to hurt you, he's giving you the rules because he loves you. He wants what's best for you, no different, no different than we do as parents or grandparents. You know, Lucy's two now, and just like us, God said, every tree you can eat, but don't eat from that one. What did Adam and Eve run toward? What do our children run toward? Lucy, you can have all of these toys, but just don't touch this thing. What does she run toward? Because it's built into us. All of us. Enjoy the freedom God made for you back in the garden. Enjoy the freedom to work, the freedom to worship. Follow his directions. You'll find pleasure and purpose. You'll find freedom even when things are forbidden. And just think how wonderful one day when God restores all of this. Wonderful, how wonderful it's going to be to enjoy life in God's garden. Stand with me. Now here's what we're going to do. Real quick, some of you, I want you to consider... uh, If you need to trust the Lord today, if you need to nail it down today, Miss Cindy and I will be over here, pastors and counselors, you can come to us in a few minutes. If you need to leave something with the Lord, pray about something, today is the day to do that. I know some of you came in here hurting, carrying burdens physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially, come and lay that down. Some of you have a job situation that you despise. You do not want to get up tomorrow and go. have Have you come to the Lord? Have you come and said, Lord, I need help with this. I need a new opportunity, or I need you to change my attitude in my current opportunity. Any of you that have ever waited tables, you probably hated Sunday afternoons the most, didn't you? Because of the nasty Christians that came to see you. Mm. Well, I'm just gonna tell you, if you wanna make their work joyful today, be a blessing to them when you go out. Yep. So what if they drop your plate? There are people in this world losing their homes and their family members. By the thousands. Be sweet and be kind. And if you don't know how to be sweet and be kind, don't tell them you're from grace and don't bow your head to pray. I love y'all, but be nice and be kind and leave it with the Lord. And know that God made you with a purpose, okay? So the altar will be open for just a moment, and then I got something really cool to share, all right? Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for the freedom you give us, even though there are things in our lives off limits. But they're off limits for our good and for your glory. There are things you don't want us to do because it's not good for us. And there's so much freedom And there's actually so very little that's forbidden when we truly understand you've given us all that we need for life and godliness. And I pray for people here today that may be struggling to find their place in this world and their purpose. I pray for people today that don't see their work as worship and don't understand that all that they do could be for your glory. I pray for those that feel burdened rather than blessed. And I pray that they would understand that from the very creation of it all, you had a design in mind, and you are working to get us back to Eden. Thank you, God, for what you do, for who you are, and the fact that we can know you and grow with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Whatever you're led to pray for, including our friends in Ukraine, you come. Thank you so much for watching us today.